welcome to the Millennial Momentum Podcast. Your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo here, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm very grateful that you're listening, you're, you're paying attention, and I'm on the path for a better life. Uh, you know, I want better relationships, I want to be in better shape, I want to make more money, I want to get promoted, um, I want to feel healthier, I want it all, and I know you do too, and you know, my goal is to create as much value and get as many tips and tactics and philosophies of the people that are getting after it. Share them with you. Learn from them myself. I, I appreciate you being on this journey. This is something that I do free of charge. I'm in full-time sales job in San Francisco. I do this and, and the blog on the side. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm going to get into a really good interview that I'm excited. I'm, I'm fired up to, to talk about. Uh, first things first, I do want to give a shout-out to the fan of the week. Uh, to Lori Warner Steiner, and it, it came to my attention that she was not the fan of the week yet, which baffles my mind. I'm pretty sure that she was somewhere in the 20s or in the teens early on, uh, but if she's not, then here you go. If not, she deserves it twice. She's been an exceptional fan since the early days of the TR Talk podcast, one of the biggest supporters that we could have. So, Lori, Mama J, you deserve it. Um She's awesome. Want to do uh, a quick rundown of today's conversation. So I had um, Kristen Hadid on the podcast, and this stems back a little bit further. I was given um, a few books by my dad for Christmas this last year, and they span all over. Sometimes they're sports, sometimes they're business. And he gives me this book I have it in my hand now with a light blue cover. It says, Permission to Screw Up. How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. And it sat on my bookshelf for probably five months thinking that, you know, maybe I'll never read this book. <laughs> um, but I started diving into it one day and, and absolutely loved it. And Kristen has such a great story um, where, you know, she's at the University of Florida and she wants to buy a pair of jeans. And, you know, she needs $100 for those jeans. So she starts um, cleaning people's apartments, gets the money. And then you know she decides, hey, you know, I actually <clears throat> enjoy doing this. I enjoy the entrepreneurial side. People want me more because um, you know she was doing such a good job. And so she kept going. It turned into creating a company called Student Made, and they've been in business for about ten years now down in Florida. And her story in the book that she wrote is about her journey, and it's not about what she did right. In, in fact, it's actually the the opposite. It's what all of the issues and talking about her biggest leadership mistakes. Um, within a few months of starting the company, 75% of her uh, students, she hires students mainly, her students quit on her on the same day at the same time. They all just showed up. Um, you know, she talks about how she threw like a kegger for some of her some of her employees and, you know, the bad ways that she's given feedback in the past and all this, you know, the mistakes that she's made and doesn't really give herself due credit. Um, but I think in a day where everyone is craving Instagram likes and filtering every picture, Kristen's authenticity, her vulnerability is a breath of fresh air. And that's why, you know, that's how she got Simon Sinek as her mentor. That's how her business has been so successful. And so many companies are seeking her out, asking, how do we build culture? How do we cultivate such a dynamic culture, especially with millennials? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're tough sons of guns sometimes. And she's done such a phenomenal job with that, telling her story, building herself up by 
uh, opening up the curtains. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Kristen. I enjoyed this so much. I hope you do too. Um, please let me know uh, how you like it. TomLamo.com. Hit me up on social. Enjoy the conversation. Kristen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to uh, excited to do this one. And, you know, I want to get into the book. And but before we do that, I want to talk a bit, little bit about authenticity. And I think that's what might be your superpower or might be one of the, your, your biggest strengths. And in a world where everyone's kind of highlighting all of their accomplishments and social media, and it seems to be, you know, a race to see who can look best or show off their cars or their money or whatever like that, you know, you've kind of gone the opposite approach and opening up and saying, you know, here's where I screwed up and continue to screw up. Is that something that is that a skill you've been working on? Did someone teach you to do that? Um, was that advice you were given? How, how did you um, start using authenticity and, and being so vulnerable? You know, I think growing up, my parents, they really made us talk about our failures. It wasn't like, let's talk about all the things that are going well. It, it was also whenever something didn't go well, it was normal to talk about it and to talk about why it didn't go well and what do we learn from it and how can we do it differently next time? And an example of that, I remember, I believe I was in third, third or fourth grade, and there was a speech contest, and I wanted to win first place. I practiced like every single day, and I didn't, I didn't win, and I was devastated. But instead of coddling me and, and comforting me, and of course they, they did that, there was also part two, which is, well, why, why don't you think that you won first? So I think it, it was just natural for me growing up to talk about what was going well and what wasn't and why. And then in my business and in my journey later on, it was just almost like a natural instinct. It wasn't something that I, I don't even think I was aware I was doing it. Yeah. That's And I think that also opens up to like, you're being taught to not fear failure, right? Because we all fail all the time. Um, and it's just sharing that. And I think that gives other people hope that like, if I let, a different CEO of a company and all they're showing is, Hey, look at all this money we're making. We're growing all this. It seems really unattainable, but when you open, when you peel it back and show, yeah, it's a successful company and I'm doing well, but like, here's all the things I had to go through. I'm just like you. Um, I think that it like kind of breaks down a barrier between who you are and who the reader is or who the listener is. Um, and I just think it's something that, that really stands out. Yeah. So I, I would, I have to tell you how the book came to be because originally I didn't write that story. Um, I So I was giving a speech and my publisher just happened to be in the audience. And the, the speech I gave was really about, it was about my business. It was about um, the next generation, you know, millennials, how to engage us at work, all that stuff. And so I got my book contract because of that talk. And I was really lost and I, I wasn't sure what exactly to write about. So I, I really wrote about success. I wrote about the business, where we were, all the amazing things we'd accomplished, and it felt so empty. And I went to dinner with a friend who has written several books, and I asked him, I said, how do you know if you're writing the right book? And he said, well, in my experience, the right book is the one that's really hard to write. And, and so I thought about that, and the book I was writing was not hard. And I thought, well, what would make it hard? And I realized that when I was just starting out in my company, which was about 10 years ago, I would go to the bookstore all the time and I would try to learn from other CEOs 
And I would read all these stories about success and no offense to them. I mean, these books were wonderful and I learned so much from them, but I would sometimes be left thinking, why am I failing so much? And it seems like nobody else is failing. And why is my business not where I want it to be yet? And so I decided to go back and write about all it took to get to where we are and all the lessons I had to learn and and how I learned them. And that meant being vulnerable and talking about failure and things I'm not proud of, but they're the things that made me who I am and my company what it is. And so I just wish, I wrote the book in the end in hopes that we'll talk about those things more. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great concept. Was And writing the book that's hard to write, Like, was there a particular piece of the book that you thought was the hardest to write or that you thought was um, you know, something that you were maybe worried about people reading or nervous or anxious or anything like that? Yes. So at the at the beginning, you know, there were a lot of um, stories that I shared that happened a long time ago. And so, yes, those were still hard to write about because I had to go back and think through like, how did this feel and what happened and how did it impact people? And, and that was hard. But then as I was writing, there were also some things that were going on in, in the business. I, my right-hand person who had been by my side for eight years, she was leaving the company. We had made a decision to sell um, a location of ours because it was a failure. And so these things were going on as I was writing. And I, at first I thought, oh, I'm not writing about those things. Like it's way too early to write about that stuff. But then I thought, well, wait, if this is really going to be a book about what it's like to to be a, learn to be a leader and have a company, then I need to write about those things. So I believe it's, chap- it's chapter six. Yes, chapter six. And that chapter, I was actually going through it as I was writing it. So it was really hard. Interesting. And has that backfired at all where people are like, you know, I, I get the point of the book, but I don't want you talking about this type of stuff. Like, has anyone fired back on that in the company at all? Oh, no, not at all. And, and you know, I had, I was definitely emotional. It was, the emotions were fresh as I was, as I was writing. And I think that's where your best writing comes from. Um, but I had many people read it to make sure that you know what I was what I was writing about is really what was happening because I just didn't want my emotions to cloud overcloud the the facts. But no, it, it I think if anything that chapter when I go and give speeches or do book events, people talk about that chapter, and I think it's just proof that when you're um, when you are um, authentic and you are willing to talk about the stuff that is currently going on and that's fresh, people can feel that and they know it's real. Yeah. And and I want to just like really pinpoint even on the title, permission to screw up. It's not saying I screwed up or, you know, here's how I screwed up and still succeeded. It's giving, at least the way I take it, it's kind of giving the reader um, permission literally to, to screw up. So it's like if things aren't going the way that they're supposed to or certain failures happen, like that's okay. You know, you can learn from it and you will learn from it and you can grow. Um, and I think a lot of people like myself included, like I kind of need that permission because I always, I want to, you know, do well with everything. I want to hit certain goals. I want to hit targets. I, I, not that I'm necessarily a perfectionist, but I think it's, it's really helpful when someone that you see is successful is saying, Hey, you know, you can slow it down a little bit. You're going to fail. You're going to go through a lot of growth spurts, things like that. Um, so I don't know how intentional that was, uh, for the reader, but I thought that that was just a cool way to phrase the book um, as you open it up. It's I'm laughing because I hated that title. <laughs> I 
that was like a placeholder title that never got changed. We couldn't think of, we, we had a lot of trouble titling and you know that the book, the title of the book needs to be simple, easy to understand. When you read the title, you should know what the book's about. And so someone suggested that in a meeting and I said, okay, fine, we can use that as a placeholder. But then as it got closer to the publication date, I couldn't think of a better title. And the reason I didn't like it was because I thought the way it was viewed is I was giving people permission to screw up. And and then what I realized at the end was, wait, it's this the whole idea is you don't need my permission. You give yourself permission. And then when you do that, you're also giving permission to the people around you. And so it was kind of like at the end, I ended up loving it when I figured that piece out, that it wasn't about me giving people permission. It was realizing that, you know, you don't need anyone's permission. You can screw up. It's all right. And then when you do that, you actually inspire other people to do the same thing. And so I was looking at your site or, or somewhere where you're talking about your why. And I, I think it's interesting that your why, at least for starting the business, was to get a pair of jeans because you were a broke college student, which I think you know a lot of people can relate to. But now your why is, at least what I read, is to empower people to try so that they can transcend their limits. So that's a lot different than being able to afford jeans. Um, I'd love to hear how that has changed over time and maybe even elaborate a little bit on on what that why means. Sure. So you're right. The company started because of a pair of jeans. And I never, it wasn't like I went out to start a company. I just, I wanted these jeans. I was 19, didn't have any money. And I thought, what's something I can do to just make enough money to buy these? And I put an ad on Craigslist to clean a house. And I charged exactly the price of the jeans, and that I thought that would be it. And the woman who hired me asked me to come back, and so I cleaned her house pretty regularly. And then she told her friends about me, and then I forgot to take the ad down. So it it really was unintentional. And but still, I never thought that would be my job. Like I, I had a plan for myself to move to New York and work on Wall Street, and that's what I always thought I would do. And um, Right before my senior year, I got this contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments. And it was a three-week job, and I thought it would be super easy. Empty apartments, three weeks, that's it. And I hired 60 people. And I, it was such a disaster. And actually calling it a disaster is being generous. I mean, it was like a disaster. I had no idea how to be a leader. I had no idea how to lead a team of people. 45 of these people quit um, a couple days in. I got them back by admitting my failure um, and and apologizing, but th- something changed that summer in me. And this this thing that I viewed as my side gig, as something that was just helping me save money for New York, actually became the thing that I was most excited about, and I felt really challenged by. And I thought, you know, how do you make how do you take a job like cleaning toilets and make people really want to do it and really excited to do it and really inspired to do it. And it, it seemed like such a crazy challenge. And as I, was, as I was growing the company, I ended up turning down a job in finance to stick with, with my business. And I realized that I was learning a lot for the first time. I, was this, I never really had a job before this. I obviously had never been in a position of leadership, never ran a company before. So everything that I was learning, I was learning for the first time. And things like walking into a networking event and being able to introduce yourself or giving someone feedback when they let you down, things that are really hard that you have to learn to be successful in life, no matter what position you hold in your life. So I thought, well, what if, as I'm learning these things, I teach 
my people these things. They're going to need to know these things too. So it started really organically. And I would, let's say I would read a book. I would tell everyone in the company, hey, I just read this awesome book. I'd love to tell you about it. I'll order pizza. Come if you want. And people wanted it. They wanted to learn. And so our culture, I wasn't aware at the time, but our culture was slowly transforming to become one centered around learning learning and growing and developing leaders. And so now we're very aware of it. And that's that's why Student Made exists. It's we say empower people to try so they transcend limits. And what it means is we give you this environment where you can screw up, you can try things. We're going to give you all these tools and teach you so much about leadership and success. They take classes on things like how to build relationships and how to give feedback and how to how to find their strengths, all these things. And then we hope that when you leave our doors, you're going to be able to accomplish more than than you ever thought possible. And that's why I wake up every day to do my job, not for dusting. <laughs> all right. So let's take it back a little bit too. I wanna I wanna peel this back. So you started the business, you know, for for the jeans, and and um, you know, kind of coincidentally uh, turned into that summer gig. And then you said you realized that um, you enjoyed two things stuck out to me. You enjoyed the challenge of, um, you know, influencing the people within the company to want to clean apartments, which is not a glamorous job by any means. But um, you liked the thought of like building a place where people would want to come to work, even in that type of an environment. And the second was that you're being challenged and that, you know, the growth opportunities were, were big. Um, so was like, are those, those were the two driving factors for, you know, much of the 10 years since you launched versus where I, I think a lot of people are, you know, I want to make money or I want to you know, have accomplishments or anything like that. It seemed like a lot of what you were focused on was with other people and with growth and like money and growing the business that way. It was kind of, took a back seat, which I think helped you out. Yeah. So I, and I, I really mean this, I never started the business or stuck with the business to make money. That was never a goal in meetings with my executive team. It's, it's never, how can we make more money? It's always, how can we, how can we offer more opportunities for our people to grow? And it's hurt me sometimes because I think what I, what I know now is you have to, responsible CEOs have to care about money because if you really want to take care of people, you have to have that financial stability. But we were very lucky that because we focused so much on our people, the money piece just always worked itself out. So now we do talk about revenue and we do talk about you know our profit margin and increasing that. and But we also talk a lot about our people and our culture. And we talk more about that. It, that is always number one. It always has been. It always will be. But yeah. And I, and I think, again, it goes back to my childhood. I, I grew up with two parents who always followed what made them excited. They never chased money. My dad's an attorney. He could have made a lot more money in his lifetime, but he chose to work with groups that were really underrepresented and protect the environment and things that he was so passionate about that just but didn't pay a ton of money. And my mom, I remember watching her, she left a job when she wasn't ha- she wasn't happy. Um, you know, and and so I, I learned it's okay to walk away from things. I learned it's okay to not chase the money. And when I got offered that job in finance, it was a lot of money. But I was not excited about it. So I didn't even think twice. And I've watched a lot of my friends 
chase money. And it's really sad because some of them, I have one friend who calls me in the morning and she circles the parking lot at work because she doesn't want to go in. And it's just like, you know, you, you only get one life. So maybe you don't know what it is yet that you want to do or what makes you excited, but find it. And if you're in a place where you're really unhappy and you're, you really feel stuck, no matter how much money you're making, make a change because you don't want to look back on your life and realize that you never really lived, you know? Yeah. Tell them, Chris, and tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So so let's stick with that. So let's just say, um, you know, I'm the 25-year-old that hates my job or maybe has an idea but isn't sure if, if I should go all in or, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in that limbo of, you know, they don't, they don't feel like they're in the right vehicle or in the right opportunity. Um, how would you, how would you advise someone to find what the right opportunity is? Maybe how do you do that with some of your employees that are in college and they're graduating and they don't want to stick with student made, they want to go do something else? Like, how do you advise them to find their, like their North star that should be doing? Well, there's a few things I would, I would recommend. One is, and we do this in our company, every single student takes Strength Finder. It's from Gallup. It's like 20 bucks. You can do it online. And what it does is it tells you your top five strengths. And the idea is when you're working in an environment where you're using your five strengths, you feel fulfilled and you feel more energized by your work versus depleted by it. So really understanding, it's, it's just like self-awareness. What are you good at? And, and how do you find a job that allows you to use those strengths? And it's really great. When you take the test, you'll get the results back yeah. and it'll explain all five really in depth. So I would highly recommend that. Um, the second thing is you're looking for an environment, not for a company, not for an organization. Like you're looking for the culture and the environment. And we always teach our students, it's not about the position. It's not about you know the name of the company because look at Student Made. It's a cleaning company. But we have people who've turned down jobs in interior design and in software engineering because it's it's not about the fact that we're a cleaning company. It's the environment and the culture. So look for the culture and the environment that makes you feel valued. And when you're sitting in that interview, ask yourself, would I want to work here? Like interview yourself. What how would I feel walking through these doors every day? You know, pay attention to how it feels because that's that's what's most important. And then the third thing is if you're in a job right now where you feel like maybe it's not the best or you feel stuck or you think you want to make a change, have you voiced that? Have you gone to your leader and, sa- and, and told him or her that? Because so many times people left my company because they wanted something else. And I was so heartbroken because had I known that, I would have figured it out. I would have I done whatever it took to keep them. And sometimes your leader just doesn't know. And, and you just have to tell them, look, I, like, I don't feel like I'm in a job where I'm using my strengths or I want this or I want that. And, and together you can figure it out. But if you've told your leader that and your leader's doing nothing about it, then I think it's, it's time to move on. Yeah, I think that's big. I think a lot of people, they don't feel fulfilled or they don't like what they're doing. They leave. Um, but especially if you're, uh, you're performing well at whatever your job is, if you have that open conversation, um, it's like, yeah, I want more money or more responsibility or whatever, like you might not always get it, but if you're performing well and they value you, um, I think you'd be surprised like what, what they're willing to potentially offer and and help you out. Um, and I think another thing too, is like, at least from my perspective is even if you like what you're doing and and you want to test the waters, like I would say to, to test the waters with certain things too. Like if you're interested in like 
you think, you know, I like writing or, or I like uh, doing something, try doing it on the side or I want to be a, you know, a, a dance instructor or something like try doing that for a few hours and you might find out, oh, wait, I like writing in my journal, but I don't like writing and publishing it. So then maybe you try something else before you necessarily switch paths all of a sudden um, and like test things out and, and see what you're good at. And I think that's something that, especially if, if people are listening that are in college, like to try out different things too, you have such a good opportunity to try and see what it's like to work at uh, a cleaning company or see what it's like to be in sales or in marketing or in finance job um, and, and try to learn and, and get as much data about what you like and what you don't like and what you're good at as soon as you can. And then, and then kind of go from there. Yeah. There's this book that I love and I always recommend it. It's called the defining decade and it's written by Meg Jay and she's a psychologist who works primarily with millennials. Um, But she has this chapter about, it's called identity capital. She talks about identity capital and it's this idea that all these things that you try in your life, whether it's, trying to be a dance instructor or writing or working at a cleaning company or bartending or, you know, they may seem like little things, but they become your, it's like a currency with what, with which you use later in your life to buy the things you want. And the people who have the, the most experience who've tried a large number of things are usually the people who have the most identity capital because they bring different perspectives and maybe they pick this up here, pick this up over there. And so thinking about that, how do you build your identity capital even while you have a job? That That's so interesting that you bring up that book because I, I haven't read it, but I've been recommended that specific book by, I think, five people in the last two weeks. So something's telling me that I need to go pick that up <laughs> um, and read it. I mean, I, I haven't heard enough good things about that book yet. Yeah. Anything else that you've been reading recently? Oh, I have gotten really back into reading. So I, I used to read... Every Friday night, I would go to the bookstore when I started my, my business. And then I took a speed reading class so I could get through a couple of books in, in one sitting. And then I, as I was writing my book, I really stopped reading because someone told me, like, don't read anything. Just focus on your book because you don't want other things to influence your ideas and your thoughts. And so I took about a two and a half year break from reading. So I'm really getting back into it now. And I, I'm reading – I like to do – business stuff, but also professional development, personal development. So I'm reading The Now Habit, which is about procrastination. Um, And I'm also reading Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And that's more of like a personal development book. And both are wonderful. Mm, I haven't heard of those. I'll have to check those out. Interesting. So I want to do a a quick pivot. And I I was thinking about this before. I didn't want to necessarily veer off track. You, you You brought up both your parents a few times. And you reference them in the book too, in terms of, you know, your dad, I think had, had given you advice throughout, but he also, and, and you mentioned this too, like he'd let you fail. Um, I think he saw some of your blunders potentially coming and, and let you go because he knew that, you know, it was a, it was a good growth opportunity. Um, and your mom taught you lessons and she actually was working for you too. So I'd, I'd love to hear from someone that, you know, my family has a family business. I'm I'm not involved in it, but I'm I'm aware of of you know the pros and cons of that. But I'd love to hear from your perspective, like how family and business has mixed for you, um, where you loop them in, where you might leave them out strategically, and and how that's impacted you know the growth of student made and and your personal growth. Yes, well, I think it's hard to work with family. Um, I think 
if you want it to be successful, you have to really think through how are we going to do this so that we're not, you know, I don't want to be in this position where I'm telling someone in my family what to do. And my sister has worked on and off over the years on different projects. She actually helped me a lot with the book. And sometimes it's like we get in this groove and it's really great. And then sometimes we're like, yeah, we should never work together again. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think it's just figuring out that, that what you, what, like what's great about family is, you know, they're loyal and you know that even when it's really tough, they're going to stick it out with you. And, but it's also like, how do you work together on something and not at the, by the end of it, not want to talk to each other? <laughs> um, so, you know, my sister's on and off. My mom works very part-time with the company and she helps us on our executive team with, she's amazing. She's like, if there's something that no one wants to do, she wants to do it. <laughs> so she does all the stuff that no one wants to do. And with her, it, it really works because it's not a dynamic where I'm delegating things to her or she's reporting to me. Everything we do at Student Made is really team-based. And so it's like the team is just one big, you know, there's not really um, um, like someone in charge. We're all in charge. So that works. But I think it's, it's, I've been very aware of that, like not having me being the one always giving her projects, having someone else on the team give them to her so that it's not always me telling her. Um, and, and that works. And then my dad, he's an attorney, so he's helped us over the years with things. Um, but he... The, the, the example you mentioned early on in the business, he warned me um, when I was incorporating, he said, you need to trademark your business and make sure that, you know, you're not, or when you, sorry, he said, when you come up with a name for your business, you need to make sure that you're not infringing on anyone else's trademark and do your research before you incorporate. And he gave me the link to do my research and everything, but I did not do it. I, I incorporated and lo and behold, I infringed on the trademark of a national maid service and I had to throw everything away with my logo on it. And my dad was like, well, I gave you the link. You know, he didn't like go back behind me to double check. He didn't. So that was terrible, but I learned so much. I learned always do my research. So that's kind of the role my dad has played as the business has grown, made me aware of things I need to do. Sometimes I don't listen to his advice and then I end up paying for it big time. But I always learn. I always learn a lesson that's very important. Yeah, that that's important. Yeah, I think the balance. Um, I think it's probably a personal balance with the per, uh, with the family and, and business. Um, like you have the loyalty, but like it's tough, right? Like especially if it's someone that if it's your significant other, or if you see your parents a lot and talk to them, then it's like, all right, how do we separate work versus let's just have dinner and talk about other things? So um, I was interested to get your take on that. Yes, I, I'd be curious to know. You talk about your failures a lot, obviously. What do you think, or, or what's a recent failure that you've had within the business that maybe you haven't shared, or it's happened after the book that that has changed some of of the course of student made or the course of we're headed personally? Well, I just wrote about one. I just wrote an article about one a couple weeks ago, so that one's fresh on my mind. Um, we were setting our revenue goals. So every year, you know, we set like a big revenue goal and then we kind of break it down into these quarterly goals. And every quarter we see where we are and we kind of recalibrate for the the quarter that's ahead. So we were recalibrating our, our revenue goal for the quarter ahead and we were tossing around some numbers and we ended up with a number that was definitely unattainable. Like there was, I knew in my gut, there's no way we're going to hit this. And even if we worked really, really hard, I mean, there's no way. 
And, um, and the reason we were increasing the goal is because we brought on new people. We have, we have more capacity. So it was like we were overstretching ourselves. You know, we, we were planning to go beyond what we had originally set. And I sensed as we set this goal that people on the team were uneasy about it. A few people spoke up and said, I don't think that's realistic. But as a team, we're very positive and we have this attitude of like, well, we'll do our best. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, we, all we can do is do our best. So we left that meeting with this high goal, we'll do our best. And that night I went home and I thought, you know what? This is not right because some of those people, I know them, they're going to work like crazy to hit this goal. They're going to work on the weekends, work at night. Um, they're going to resent it. And, and that's not what we want. So I came in the next day, told them how I was feeling. This turns out a few people were also feeling the same. And we, we made the goal a more attainable number. So, I mean, there's always like, I, I think the point is you never stop screwing up. The difference now for me is that my screw ups have a huge impact. (laughs) So, um, but you always learn from them. And I, every single time I screw up in my business, I always admit it. And I always say, look, like I, I set the goal. It was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, we need to, we need to look at this again. And that's how you earn trust. That's how you earn loyalty because people, people don't trust people who pretend like they have it all together and who never take responsibility and never hold themselves accountable and never admit failure. You just don't trust somebody who, who acts that way. So when you can come in and say, Hey, I really messed up. Not only do people trust you, but they want to help you. And so it's always worked for me, no matter how big the failure is. Yeah, that's huge. And have you read the book, um, Extreme Ownership? Yes. Great book. That's a good one. Great one. Yeah. I mean, similar. I mean, they talk about different things, but similar in the sense that like, you got to own up to, you know, if you're the leader, whether that's your title or not, own up to everything. You know, failures, no matter what is, is your fault. And, and you have to admit that and own up to it. So similar concept, but I'm a big fan of that book as well. Um, what do you think? What do you think is one thing that, I mean, you're clear, like we, we focus so much on like the negative and, um, and the failures and things like that, but you're doing really well. Like the business seems like is, is growing and doing really well. But what do you think is one thing that is holding you back or holding student made back from getting maybe to the next level? Well, it, right now we're in this place where we're trying to figure out who we are again. Because we've grown this business to be, you know, we, we've definitely mastered the, the culture. It's become the business we've always dreamed it, it can be. And now we're focusing on taking what we've learned and helping other companies emulate that culture and, and that environment for their own people. But it's like, now what? You know, this isn't, it's, it's like we have to reinvent ourselves again because, okay, we've built the culture, we're teaching other companies, but then what? How, do you, how are we going to scale? And we'd, we've opened a second location in the past and um, it didn't work out. And I think it was a couple of things, timing, and I don't think we were in it for the right reasons. And I don't think we were clear yet on our culture, what we wanted it to be. And so that all played a part. But we're like, do we open more locations now that we have the culture figured out? Do we focus more on scaling how to teach other companies how to emulate this environment? And so it's just, it feels like we're a startup again. And um, it would be easy. A lot of people say to me, well, why don't you just like now just live life, you know, travel and you've got the business where you need it to be and you're speaking. And I'm like, yeah, but that's boring. Like I, I, we all know there's something, there's something more. 
And someone said something to me one time that has always stuck out at me. He said, do you plan on opening more locations or doing anything else like once you have this one mastered? And I said, no, I don't think so. I'm not sure. And he said, that's really selfish. And I was like, what? And he's like, you figured out how to create an environment where people feel valued and significant. In most companies, it's not that way. So if you guys just keep it to yourself, that's really selfish. And it, that comment has always stuck with me because he's right. If we figure this out, how can we help other people? So what's holding us back right now is just being unclear on what that looks like, but we're working really hard to figure it out. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's the same with if you have a, a certain talent or if you're good at something, right? Like to pass it forward and try to, um, whether you speak about it or if you get into a leadership spot at a company and you pass that to your team or you write about it or you podcast about whatever, like it's just trying to uh, pay the buck forward, right? Right. Interesting. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, you know, one thing that I want to touch on too um, before we before we wrap in a few minutes is is Simon Sick. And he, I think he wrote the foreword to your book, right? And I think it sounds like, or it looks like online, you guys have, have some sort of a partnership or relationship and he seems to be a, a big piece of, of your growth. So, I'm a big fan of his um, you know, his book, you know, Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last. Um, he just puts out great work. I'd love to hear, you know, the impact that he's had and maybe any of the lessons that, that he's taught you that you're able to pass forward. Simon and I met right after I graduated college. I believe, I think it was right after I graduated college. It was, I think it was 2010. And this is before the world really knew Simon. And he was speaking in, in our community and that we met at this event and I told him about student Maid, and we just, we immediately hit it off because we have the same views in business that people should always be the priority. And so he, he interviewed me for leaders eat last and he really wanted to talk about student maids culture and, and we just became great friends. But as I grew, um, he, you know, he definitely, he knew there were bigger things for me before I could see them myself. And I have to tell you this. So he invites me to this conference. This was a few years ago. And he's like, I can't really give you much information. Just this is something you don't want to miss. Just fly to Aspen. I'll pick you up when you get here. It's going to be great. So I trust him. So I go to Aspen. And um, as I get there, I'm looking around and there's all these people that I do not belong in the same room with. I mean, it was like the CFO of JetBlue, the founder of the Container Store, former president of Ecuador. I'm like, am I here to clean everybody's rooms? Or like, what? you know, why did you bring me? Um, but then he says, you're the speaker. And I want you to talk about millennials and and what we need to give millennials to, to help them be successful in life and in business. And in, so it was the first time I'd ever talked about that topic, but that's the event I was telling you about at the beginning where my publisher was in the audience. So really Simon's the reason that I even got the, the book contract in the first place, had he not invited me to that event. And he's also the one when I said, how do you know if you're writing the right book? He's the one who said it's really hard to write. So, um, Hold up, hold up, hold up. So he, so he, so how how many people were at this conference? Oh, probably like roughly? 20, 25. It was very small. Okay. So it's a small collective group of really, really, really high achievers. Um, the people that you're talking about. Yeah. And he tells you to come there, 
and show up and you're likely intimidated by these people as most people would be. And then he just drops it on you that you have to speak or did he give you any sort of a heads up or you just went in and like spoke from the heart? Like, how did that go down? It was not much of a heads up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I spoke from the heart. I don't even remember what I said. I was so nervous. But um, yeah. And so I think that Simon's gift is seeing other people for who they really are. And then like sharing that with other people. And so um, he just, he knew there was something special about student made. We couldn't see it yet at that time. Um, he knew that, that we were meant to do more than just have one location, but we couldn't see it yet at the time. So it's just, he's been so instrumental in our growth. And yeah, we're, we're partners now, you know, we're working on the, the piece that I was just telling you about, how do we scale that's what we're working on with with Simon and his company right now because they've done that. They've scaled Start With Why in that message. And so what better, what, you know, we want to learn from them. How do we do this? Wow, that's crazy. I mean, and that's, um, he definitely, you know, he saw something in you in you early and um, maybe to, to, whether it's that specific case or another, like I think mentorship is, it's a big topic and obviously, He's one that um, has has helped you out quite a bit. Do you have any tips for people that, um, as they're going through? I think mentorship is huge, but like going through whether it's finding one or maintaining maybe someone, you know, like a Simon that they look up to, maybe see something in them, but like how they can keep growing that um, partnership and help adding value when, at least in your mind, like you may not have as much value to add as the mentor, but, but trying to keep that going. Do you have any advice around that? I would actually suggest, so when I, a couple years into, into the business, I was a part of this group. There were, there were five of us and we were all entrepreneurs, um, different stages in our businesses, but all pretty much around the same age. And we would meet once a month for four or five hours and it was the same agenda every time. What's going well in your life at work? What's not? And whatever was said in the room stayed in the room. And if we wanted to ask the group for feedback or solutions, if you know there's something we were stuck on, we could. But pretty much what it was is a safe, it was a safe place to like really talk about what was going well, what wasn't. And to, and to realize that you're not alone. Well, we met every single month and we we done that for it was like five or six years. And that group more than anything um, has been so helpful because it's like you have a sounding board always for whatever it is that that you need. Everyone is from a different industry. They they come with different experiences. So you can always learn from from those. And realizing that you you can do that right now. You can look around who are three, four people that you really, you know, Think have interesting perspectives and have interesting, you know, experiences. Get together, start once a month, even for a couple hours, just talking about what's going well, what'd you learn this month. What realizing that you don't always have to go out and find like the Simon, you know. And while Simon's helped me so much, but I don't want to take anything away from that. The, that group that I, that I, I mean, the, that was the most instrumental thing for sure for me. And looking back, the most valuable thing in my journey and, and what's helped me the most as an entrepreneur, because yeah, it's just, I mean, where do you, where do you get that? Where do you get a monthly sounding board? And these are people that um, they're in similar space or they're entrepreneurs, but they're, they weren't your friends before, or they might, you might not even consider them friends now. They they're just my like, friends. These are people that we 
Um, we're here for a specific reason. It's it's not like you know we're gonna go out to dinner and talk about you know or whatever else. Like personally, maybe you do that, but we're here to talk about like the business stuff. And I want to open up and I want to talk like run ideas by you guys. And that's like that the that's the specific goal for that group, right? Yeah, yeah. And and what happens is you actually you don't start out as friends, but you become great friends because these people know you fully, you know, and it's that vulnerability. The more vulnerable you are, the more people can really see you, the the more trust you're building and the closer you become. That's awesome. That's huge. Yeah. Um, I think it's really good, really good idea. I mean, the, I would agree with a lot of things that I've learned too. Um, I think it's, it's like, you know, it's sexy to say like, oh, I have this person as my mentor and I want to find this great writer and this great CEO to be my quote mentor, but like you can learn from the people all around you um, and you can get creative in, in how you do that. So I think that's, that's a great lesson. Um, and you know, I know I, I could sit here and, and talk about this stuff literally all day, but um, I know that, you know, you have to jump. Um, so I'd love to just hear from, from you, any last words that you have for the audience, um, for the millennials out there and where can we find the book? Where can we find you on social? Um, Yeah. So last words. Um, I would say it's a, it's a little piece of advice. If there's something that you're fearing, you know, I think f- being afraid of failure is what holds us back. So if there's something that you're fearing, try to think about what's the worst thing that could possibly happen and wrap your head around that. And what I usually find is the worst case scenario is never really that bad. And the chances of it actually happening are very slim. And it's almost like once you just say it out loud that this is the worst thing that could happen, it kind of removes some of the fear because you've thought about it. You've already thought about what's the worst case scenario, what would I do if that happened, and then go for it. Um, And also, it's not failure if you're learning from it. Failure is doing the same thing twice after it didn't work the first time. You know, you you have to think about how am I going to grow from this and do it differently next time. And as long as you're doing that, that's called growing and learning. It's not called failing. So that's my advice. Um, the book, you can get it anywhere books are sold, but definitely on Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. Um, but yeah, any you can go into any bookstore and if they don't have it in stock, you can order it. Awesome. I, I lo- love the last bit of, of, um, of fire there um, on the failure. And then where can we find you on, on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah, so it's just my name, Kristen Hadid on all, all platforms. And if you're interested in checking out Student Made, it's just studentmade.com and, and Student Made for all social media there too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You've been really generous with your time. For the listeners out there, seriously, pick up the book. I don't recommend it unless you know I read it myself and I like it. Um, check her out on, on social media. And you know, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and, and spending time today uh, you know, talking about all these topics. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm sad it's over. <laughs> How good was that, guys? I mean, Kristen, that was one of my favorite conversations in in quite a while. I just loved her her vibe, her presence. She shared some great stories. Again, in such a world where everyone wants to be the best, everyone wants to show their best, she actually does the opposite, and that's what sets her apart. So, you know, a few takeaways, top three for you. Um Number one is just the title of the book. You don't need permission from her or from anyone else to screw up. You're going to screw up all the time, whether you own a business, whether you're uh, in a relationship, whether you're just doing whatever you're doing on a day-to-day, you're going to screw up. You're going to drop that glass of milk. 
Um, you don't need permission. It's going to happen. You just got to learn from it. Um, the second is her why I thought was very interesting. Empowering people to try so that they can transcend their limits. Wow. She empowers people to try. That's one step. Because she knows that they can transcend their limits. And everyone has limits and you know, she helps to break those down. And the third one is um, you know, she still screws up. Ten years into it, she's got a growing company. She's leading the charge. But she says, I always admit it. That's the one thing that she pats herself on the back for is that she's going to screw up, but she's always going to admit it. And that's how you earn trust. And I completely agree. The worst thing is someone that sweeps something under the rug. They're lying. They're cheating, all this stuff. Just admit it. Own up to it. Accountability, discipline. Um, she drops some great names of books, Defining Decade. You know, We talked about extreme ownership, all that stuff. So um, I'm really glad that you listened to this. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know. Please let me know. If you see me on the street, uh, you can check out TomAlamo.com for more. Uh, Tommy Tahoe on all social platforms. I uh, hope you have the best Wednesday of your life. Out.